Hello and good morning. This is Titus Nietzsche Anderson. I am uh, doing the first broadcast for Sovrumano. Uh, I am the creator and founder of Sovrumano.com. We are on section two of a three-part seminar or podcast. The title of the second section is Purge or A Great Purge is Coming. Okay, so if you happen to find this section of the um, of the podcast independent of the other three parts, I will tell you that on the first part, what we were talking about is the overman and the concept of the overman, uh, the concept of, of prophets, the concept of Jesus Christ, the concept of the Buddha, um, even Friedrich Nietzsche's Ubermensch, Ubermensch, uh, what that word means, the overman, and so on. Furthermore, we were talking about um, how to groom a person for such a thing, um, how things arise as compliments, and we went into some biblical examples. This is not a religious podcast, but I wanted to explain some things historically in a historical concept because they're probably the oldest records that we have uh, supposedly of such phenomena, I would, I'm guessing. So as an example um, of compliment or what would we would call social intelligence by today's standards is if you have criminality on one end of the spectrum, then on the opposite end of the spectrum you can expect to see a compliment. So that if the New York Mafia is a problem, then a J. Edgar Hoover emerges on the other side and creates the FBI as a compliment. So, uh, so for sheriffs and police departments, you have an ACLU. Uh, for totalitarianism and communism, you have a democracy in the United States of America. For extreme chastity, you have uh, Dionysus. Uh, for extreme filth, you have an Abraham, or you have a Jesus Christ, or something along those lines. Okay, so that basically is a summary of the first section, which is roughly about 30 minutes or so. And all of these recordings are subject to be re-recorded again in the future when I have better equipment and, um, and a more comfortable environment to record in. But I'm going to get this material out there for the time being, and this is basically a blueprint or um, the rough draft of the idea so that you have the idea and so that people can start to act on it immediately if they want to. Okay. Um, and then last but not least, um, there is a, one last idea I needed to bring up in the, from the first section, and that was um, the idea of reincarnation, which is kind of a funny... Um, subject in and of itself but after some meditating on it it I believe what they were trying to describe are what we commonly call fractals and we talked about the Fibonacci sequence um, in the Bible and you already know what a fractal is from going to school it's a pattern that has a smaller version of itself within the pattern and that has a smaller version of itself within itself and it's kind of like a spiral and those things are set according to mathematics. Turns out um, that is not a new phenomena and it's not reincarnation, it's simply a fractal pattern. And they occur in nature 
they can occur in um, sociology as well. And uh, they can happen on a small scale with a village or a town or a community or a state, or they could happen with a country. Or um, in some cases, some people predict that they will happen on a global scale or on a worldwide scale, the largest possible fractal that we have, or the largest possible measure that we have is for mankind itself. Um, so to give you a couple of quick examples in that category um, that you would be familiar with, one is a courtroom uh, where you have all of the roles predetermined and because of your past causes, the effect puts you in that chair as a defendant or it puts you in that chair as a prosecutor or it puts you in that chair as a witness, court reporter, etc. You may not be there on revolving around the exact same issue, but it's still an example of, um, of a vortex that you can sort of be pulled into against your will. It's karmic, in other words. Uh, another funny example that I know of from my past is when I used to purchase a lot of um, movies and DVDs. I went through several dozen of them a year at one point in time due to a project that I'm currently trapped in. That's another podcast I'll try to keep separate from this podcast as much as I can. Um, but one day I happened to notice that two movies were the exact same movie that I happened to purchase. One of them is called Point Match with uh, Scarlett Johansson and Jude Law. And the other movie is called Unfaithful which has, I believe, Diane Lane and Richard Gere in the movie. Um, both of those movies are the same movie, but cast with different actors and cast in different contexts. And um, I just happened to notice that one day. Uh, that was years and years ago, and I posted it on my old Twitter feed at Titus Anderson. And uh, it's buried down in there somewhere, but it uh, just came to mind again recently, and it, it had some relevancy here. Um, as Carl Jung would say, and so I thought I would um, I would make mention of it here. Okay, so let's move on to section two. Um, I have to believe that this is about to be wonderful news uh, for billions of people around the world. There are uh, three conceptualizations of God. Uh, the first one is what is called anthropomorphic. This is uh, man's first attempt to, uh, it's, it's his first attempt to render or conceptualize God as a thing, as a person, place, or thing. And what happened is, is that the phenomena of nature, the phenomena of storms, flood, the act of creation itself, uh, the unfolding of each moment was given uh, human characteristics. So that when you saw a thunderstorm or something like that, um, it was because God was angry. When, he, when you saw tidal waves, God was throwing tidal waves to express uh, something else. When the rain was coming down, it was because he was sad and things like that. That's in the Old Testament. Um, the Old Testament may have been inspired in part by the Hindu, which predates the Old Testament, and they have some of the anthropomorphic um, uh, depictions of God in their texts. And uh, this has already come up for debate 
in other places before whether that was a good idea or, or a bad idea. The second um, conceptualization of God is his deification. That is to say that man can attain godlike status. And you can probably already guess who that applies to. That applies to Jesus, it applies to the Buddha, it applies to certain comic book characters and things like that. So that now um, the idea of God is not this grand entity in the sky, but he's much more closer to you, uh, is much more attainable to you, much more accessible to you, and now he's a mediator, uh, now he's a redeemer from your sins, or maybe if you meditate enough, then you could um, possibly ascend to his heights or ascend to his, um, ascend to his level of consciousness and things like that. Okay. So, there are three problems with the first two conceptualizations of God, the anthropomorphic and the second one being the deification. The first one uh, we're going to call the metaphysics of error. Um, in studying probability and um, decision-making and logic and things like that, there's a phenomenon called orders of effect. So that um, when you have cause and effect, everybody knows what that is. But with orders of effect, it's cause, effect, that effect becomes a cause which has another effect, that effect becomes a cause which has yet another effect, and so on. So I'm going to give you a quick example. Um, these aren't exactly perfectly aligned, they're more for illustrative purposes so that you get uh, the idea. So the logic may not be flawless, but it's just kind of for illustrative purposes. Okay, so the first one that I'm going to use is a tsunami, like a storm that's coming. So the first thing that happens is that a meteorologist notices a pattern out in the ocean that appears to be a fractal, or appears to be um, isomorphic with something that has happened in the past. It has all of the correct signs. So what happens is meteorologist issues a warning. That's your first order of effect. Okay? From that warning comes a second effect. People start boarding up their houses and their windows and their doors and putting sandbags out and everything else. That in turn has a third effect. That second effect now becomes a cause for a third effect, which is the sale of supplies and food. That in turn uh, turns into a slowed economy as people stop working and so on. Uh, the fifth is the city's destruction from the tsunami that now comes in. The effect of that, number six, is looting by people who are still there in the city, breaking into stores and homes, looting things out. That in turn creates yet another effect, which is a police crackdown on looting. No more looting. After that, you have a rebuilding of the city uh, when it's safe to return to your homes. And then number nine is the affected economy uh, from the rebuilding. Okay, that's a tsunami. Now we're going to take a look at a second one. This one has to do with the Bible. We're going to take the Old Testament as our first cause. So number one, you have the Old Testament. From that, you have 
a book that's inspired by the Old Testament. We're going to call it Paradise Lost by John Milton. That book is purchased and read by university students all over the world. And uh, one of them is a playwright and he writes Hannibal or Silence of the Lambs or some other type of fiction that sort of uh, makes use of this type of lascivious character or devilish character. Uh, from that we have rock bands that have never read Paradise Lost but like the motif and decide to keep running with it. Number five, we have a kid, we have kids in the public who purchase uh, tickets to these rock bands, uh, people who watch these kind of movies, it becomes a pervasive effect on the culture and it has a corrosive effect on the culture, its morals, it resets uh, standards, it eliminates rules and so on. The sixth effect of that is a government that is full of she-devils and uh, salesmen, con artists, Hannibal lectors, um, that type of thing. Okay, if that's too much of a stretch for you, let's take a look at uh, a substantial direct one step. The, uh, the uh, Old Testament, which is what um, the Jews are responsible for, uh, Adolf Hitler was specifically groomed and created by Germans as an answer to Jews or Semites, and from there possibly in turn against other races. Um, there was the whole issue of white supremacy with them putting the Nordic or the German at the top in their model of the world where we go on top and then everybody else comes down below it, so I can't say that to be credited to the Jews. But, um, but Adolf Hitler himself was specifically groomed as an answer to Judaism. Now when you think about that, think about how many people have been affected by that one incident all over the world. I mean, every single one of us has received some consequences from that interaction, from that action and reaction. That's just one order of effect. So um, it's a very real phenomenon. It is something to pay attention to. And uh, we'll go more into this in a second. Okay, the number two problem uh, with the first two conceptualizations of God is that you're making approximations of approximations. So this isn't dissimilar to the work of um, of a Noam Chomsky or a Gregory Bateson, and I'll just give you a, uh, a rough idea of what the levels are. So you have an amorphous idea of God. It's uh, the phenomena of rain or of life or of creativity or unfolding moments in perpetuity, um, the unfolding lotus and things like that. This is what you're trying to conceptualize. So your first deviation is to call it God. Your second deviation is to create an intermediate uh, intermediary who you call Jesus. Uh, your third deviation from that is to use a pastor who helps you get to Jesus or a mentor that works with you somewhere there in the church. Okay, so as you can see, you are now um, four deviations away from what you were trying to get to originally which is the phenomena. 
want to point out to you that if you stop at the second deviation, or if you start at the second deviation, emulating Jesus Christ, then you yourself are an approximation of an approximation. So no matter how how good you get it, I mean you're still just you're still two deviations away from what you're trying to get to. And that's assuming that you have a good map for the territory. Um, Dr. David Hawkins comes up here where he talks about calibrating for truth. And that is actually something that can be done in many cases, but not with kinesiology. So when you look for a glass that's uh, half full, uh, you want to recognize that the glass that's half empty, that's where the devil is. Uh, the devil, in fact, if you're taking notes, if you write one thing down from this, uh, one of the things that you may want to write down is that the devil is not in the details. The devil is in the deviations. I'll say that again. The devil is not in the details. The devil is in the deviations. Okay. Number three, errant juxtapositions. Uh, this is where we juxtapose God versus the devil, or good versus evil, or Christ versus Antichrist, or Jew versus anti-Semite, or a church versus an apostate, which may sound like a lot of fighting among factions or groups. So which side should you choose? Which side appears to be correct? And so forth. Again, it's Dr. David Hawkins who points out the error in doing this, stating that it's really a matter of truth versus falsehood or correct versus error. That will eliminate the whole good versus evil dichotomy, uh, which is an erroneous juxtaposition altogether. If you go with good versus evil, it extrapolates into a huge problem when what you should have been doing was calibrating for what is the honest truth in other words, according to mathematics, according to biology, according to science, those are the scales that you want to use. It's truth versus falsehood and being correct versus error. Uh, nobody who's for truth is going to run into a compliment that says, I'm for the anti-truth. Or if you're correct, nobody is going to say, well, I stand for the anti-correct or I want to be erroneous. Uh, it doesn't make any sense to have a compliment of that nature. So the correct thing to do is to juxtapose these things correctly. Okay, does anybody notice anything wrong with these conceptualizations? They are all in error because there is no God. There is no such thing as God. There is no such thing as Satan. So. It is impossible for your map to be correct. Okay? So this brings us to the whole point of the second module. This is going to be your third and final conceptualization of God. There is no God to conceptualize. That's the big idea. Okay. What is witchcraft? Uh, in my own intuition, it is faith in false idols. Ironically, uh, this is condemned in the Bible and in other places. Uh, witchcraft does have an effect. It is not benign. 
and uh, it's not benign to place faith in imaginary things. Um, you want to stop conceptualizing the phenomena as anything else than what it is. Rain is just rain. Rain is not God. Um, Jesus is a composite of past prophets and sages, including the Buddha and other people that was he was braided together and taken from. Um, it's not based on a natural historical person, but a composite of people who existed before. The same might be true of the Buddha. They may all have borrowed from each other's legends. I'll leave you to research that. I'm not going to get into a big debate with you about that in case you happen to take the Bible literally. But you cannot be born of a virgin. You cannot walk on water. You cannot turn water into wine and things like that. So if you think Jesus was a literal person, um, think again because the legend about him is impossible. It couldn't be true. Okay. Um, the funny thing about this, this phenomena of of, um, of, uh, of false idolatry is the idea of getting rid of um, erroneous material, satanic material, occult material, erroneous material, and so forth. Um, everybody knows that the Nazis burned books by the Jews and others who are into witchcraft. Uh, everybody knows that the Jews themselves burned books on witchcraft that they thought were witchcraft according to their own model of the world and what they deem to be witchcraft. Excuse me, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, that's actually in the Bible where there is um, a book burning um, by the Jews there. If you want to look it up on, um, on Wikipedia and take a look at book burning, there's a huge list of uh, libraries that have been burned by Germans, Africans, Chinese, Japanese, Jewish, Nazi, and so on, who are attempting to um, get rid of these um, false idols and this erroneous material. In fact, um, it's sort of funny, before you can become one of Jehovah's Witnesses, you have to get rid of your previous religion's iconography. You got to get rid of the Star of David. You got to get rid of the crosses. Uh, you got to get rid of anything that looks like it's from the occult or uh, Satanist or anything like that. In fact, if you're too deeply into the occult and that sort of thing, um, you may not even be able to join their organization. They may pass on you for the time being until they're certain that you've really got that stuff out of your system, so to speak. Um, and the Nazis themselves um, also burn that stuff, as we already talked about. But it's sort of funny that all of these different groups have the same motivation uh, in that they're trying to get rid of or they're trying to purge themselves of what is false, uh, what is erroneous, what is witchcraft, what is anachronistic, what is no longer true, and so forth. So. Um, if you haven't figured it out by now, you probably know where this is going. Uh, you should be ready now to receive the most important instruction that a quote-unquote spiritual teacher uh, can give you, and it is this. I need you to get rid of whatever religious material that you can. I need you to start to loosen your attachments to things that are imaginary. I need you to keep their lessons, but to lose the books and the identities 
slowly and safely, but as quickly as you can. As you purge yourselves one by one, you will begin to dissolve, not destroy, religious and ideological falsehoods. Lines of code that are in error must be dissolved or redacted of all possible texts, religious and non-religious. This is accomplished worldwide, this accomplished worldwide fulfills all religious endeavor. Now, here I want to point out that there is a difference between the burning of books uh, and the destruction of books and their fulfillment. There is a difference between ignoring the scriptures and the fulfillment of scriptures. Um, this is the fulfillment of prophecy, otherwise known as fractals. This is how you beat uh, the great beast, the devil. There is no devil, um, but there is error. There is no God, but there is truth. There is no God, but there is honor. There is no such thing as God, but there is heart. Um, in fact, the four attributes of God are correctly understood as love, wisdom, justice, and power. Those are the four attributes of God. I'll say them again. They are love, wisdom, justice, and power. Uh, that's what the human being is to uh, make use of as, uh, as he achieves self-actualization and as we emancipate out of the caves and into our future. Um, and as we begin to shed that old skin and uh, leave it behind. So uh, that is the, uh, the second part of our three-part series and um, I want to give you one uh, last aphorism to write down and that is God worship is law worship. That is uh, something I put on my Twitter feed at Sovramano. It's Sovramano3 on Twitter. Um, I hope it's still the same when you happen to hear this message. If not, you'll just have to look around to find me. You'll probably find me by looking for Sovramano. And um, that's in case anything has changed as far as the Twitter, Twitter name and things like that because I had my bag stolen. But that's a long story and I won't get into it now. But, um, but that's where this, this message stems from. It was just an epiphany that I had. Um, that really didn't take root until uh, my bags were stolen and I was doing some meditating and thinking and all of this sort of uh, was the byproduct of that, okay? All right, so I'm gonna tell you a little story, a quick one. It's called The Story of Adam and Eve. Stop me if you've heard this one before, okay. So in the Bible, um, after God created the earth and the heavens and all that stuff, uh, there is uh, Adam and Eve and he puts them in the garden and they have paradise and they have the animals under their dominion and they have the fruits and the vegetables and they have everything. Uh, it's just perfect. Um, in meditating upon this, um, Plato's four levels of understanding came to mind. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's four scales, it's unconscious competent, the unconscious incompetent, the conscious incompetent, and the conscious competent. So uh, if you're taking notes, the first one is 
uh, the unconscious competent that is where you are the chess grandmaster and you make your moves without thinking about them um, the unconscious incompetent he doesn't know what he doesn't know so there could be subject taught at the university that he's never heard of before it's literally a blind spot he has no idea what that could possibly be and by definition he couldn't even conjure what that might be um, the conscious incompetent now knows what he doesn't know now that he's looked at a brochure and the conscious competent is one who um, now knows what he knows and knows how to do it but it takes effort okay so back to the Garden of Eden so here they are in the Garden of Eden unconsciously competent uh, at being themselves at, at their in their current state of beingness and along comes a snake and he says to them is it really true that God said to you that you must not eat from the tree of uh, good and evil or right and wrong or whatever they called it in the Bible and is it really true that God said that you must not think for yourself and Adam and Eve think about it and say well I have no idea and the snake says why don't you go ahead and eat the fruit so that way you know so if you're looking at your four levels you now know that we've shifted into the second one and they're about to bite that piece of fruit so they do that they eat from the uh, fruit in the Garden of Eden and they now uh, lose paradise uh, they look at each other they realize that they are naked and they begin to clothe themselves um, God returns to the garden and asks what happened what did you do and uh, they explain to him what happened with the snake and that they partook of the fruit and so on God casts them out of the garden into the wilderness where the animals don't respond to them where the uh, vegetation doesn't grow like it used to and so forth now we are at the third uh, level of Plato's understanding which is uh, the conscious incompetent which means Adam and Eve now have satisfaction and they now know what they did not know before okay as we as offsprings of Adam and Eve according to this this story um, begin to crawl our way back to this Garden of Eden as we begin to crawl back to unconscious competence uh, we now know what we know and it's a conscientious struggle in fact that is the opening sequence of the Bible and the opening of the Fibonacci sequence in the Bible uh, it's an extremely powerful story uh, both metaphorically and literally it has literally um, influenced mankind and his misdirection um, in life and it's also been beneficial uh, as a story for teaching uh, as well um, what we are doing now is we are healing those divisions um, a lot of people I'm gonna uh, we're gonna do a third module called eschatology but I will tell you briefly now in case you happen to miss the third module for some reason if these are distributed independent of each other that um, what we are doing is 
right now we are healing or reconciling the deviations from uh, love, wisdom, justice, and power. We're not going to call it God anymore. What we're going to do is uh, we're going to reconcile ourselves back to these ideals, these honorable ideals of love, wisdom, justice, and power uh, as the very best that a human being can embody. And it's okay to use an example, it's okay to use your father, it's okay to use a friend, it's okay to ask for advice, it's okay to learn from stories, it's okay to learn from aphorisms, it's okay to learn from proverbs and things like that. But what we don't want to do is create uh, witchcraft. Uh, we don't want to put faith in imaginary things, we don't want to create institutions around them, we don't want to fuel those institutions, we don't want to weaponize those institutions, and you reap what you sow. Uh, we got a lot more reaping to do based on what's been sowed in the past. I mean, we got a long way to go, but uh, we need to start sowing new seeds today in order to reap uh, new benefits tomorrow. And it's not going to happen overnight, but uh, it does need to start happening and it needs to start happening right now on a person-to-person -person basis. And I'll cover some more ideas in the third module about how we um, shepherd this thing along and how we steward it along responsibly. I think this is going to be the best news in the world for so many people who are trapped right now in religious idolatry, religious doctrine, religious rituals, um, erroneous beliefs, erroneous practices, and things like that. Uh, this is going to be your emancipation away from those things into something that is so much better for you. Uh, what you do is you're just simply purging yourself of the erroneous parts of your, of your body of knowledge. And that just leaves you with all of the good stuff and none of the bad stuff. And uh, that, will, that will help you out tremendously um, as you emancipate out of the caves and away from uh, erroneous beliefs, um, uh, both religious and non-religious. Okay, so that's going to be our second of three of, uh, of our first podcasts here at uh, Sovermano. My name is Titus Nietzsche Anderson. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I'll see you soon for the uh, for the third part. Bye bye.